There's the Sennheiser. Everybody talking, it's good. Get everybody together. I'm gonna up that, I think, a little bit, maybe. Maybe we'll turn that up like that, maybe. That'll do that. All right. <laughs> I don't plan on handing this body back in like in perfect shape. It's gonna, you know, need eyes and ears and knees and everything. <laughs> Let's use them up. Yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the hard part, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He never says in here that you have to hand it back in like perfect, right? He says he's going to give you a new one, right? You know, put all the miles and... I, I know, quit interrupting. That's What am I doing? Can we give a round of applause to Carolyn? This, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No, you did a great job. Thank you very much. It's, that was great. And Miss Lillian, I think, headed off to class, but man, her voice is just incredible. Man. Uh, announcements. Let's do some announcements. So I'm going to have John come up for a minute uh, and, and talk with us for a moment. Uh, here. I think that's working. Check, check, maybe. Two microphones. Test. All right. Yeah, I just uh, talked to Phil this morning, and I thought it would be important to just make sure everybody is aware just how hot it is going to be this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it's going to be really warm. So um, the National Weather Service in Grand Junction has issued an excessive heat warning. <laughs> For the whole week, and this is kind of a joke because I work there, but um, I, I could put on my weather radio voice. The National Weather Service has issued. As well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so listen to these numbers for fruit, okay? Today, 103. Monday, 105. Tuesday, 107. Wednesday, 107. Thursday, 106. Friday, 104. And Saturday, 103. So. I mean, this can be serious because when it stays that warm for that long, there can be problems. Just make sure that your AC or your swamp cooler is working. If for some reason it is not and you cannot get cooled off and you need a cool place to stay, let me know. I think Phil said he's going to be out of town, but let me know and you can camp out here. Yes. And we'll make sure that that happens. Yeah. So Wait, anyway. We have this building. We have air conditioning. There's no reason for anyone to be suffering out in this, okay? So, yeah, yeah. please. So that's all I wanted to mention. So if you need yeah. a place for overnight, yeah. you can, this is the place. Yeah, John, thank you so much. Sure. Yeah. Woohoo! Hey, wait, wait, we could have a lock-in? 
Could we keep the kids out, right? Could we like lock the kids out and all the adults come and have a lock-in? <laughs> oh, man. So there's a great video of a youth pastor that does the make lock-ins great again. You should watch that if you have, a, <laughs> have an opportunity. <laughs> uh, so uh, June 11th and 12th, yesterday, uh, we had the food bank. We've had about 150 families. It's funny, it was a slow food bank. We still did 150 families. <laughs> I don't know when that became a, a low number, but, um, but it was great. We, uh, we had a lot of volunteers, a lot of new faces. It was fantastic. Um, so fa- yeah, thank you, everyone. Yeah. Please remember, um, we need to keep that up for, for next month because Miss Barb and Mr. Larry get to, to go off, and so do John and Danette. And um, yeah, we're going to be uh, missing quite a few folks for, um, and Shannon's going to be gone as well. Shannon and Phil are going to be gone. So I'd like to say, if we can just maintain that enthusiasm for, for next month, because um, it's going to be uh, Wendy and, and Karen and I that are in charge. So we need all the help we can possibly get. And that, that, that was in order, by the way. Wendy, and then Karen, and then <laughs> uh, this week, uh, June 16th, uh, on Wednesday, we have the, the ladies' card-making party at 6.30. There's a sign-up sheet at the back. Please come. It'll be a great time for you ladies to, to fellowship and get to hang out together and, and do something fun. There's no cost. Just please show up and enjoy each other. On June 20th, next Sunday is, is Father's Day, and then June 27th, um, we will be gone, and we're going to, uh, to a family reunion out in the Midwest. So, um, yeah, we have coverage for, for June uh, 27th. Uh, July 9th and 10th is the next food bank, so like I say, keep that on your radar. The Bible studies are ended for the summer. I think Miss Wendy is doing a Bible study for some of the ladies, so um, if you're interested in that, please see her. Um, remember the Bibles at the back of the church. I had someone ask me last week if they could take one of those Bibles and give them to someone. Yes, we give out Bibles. If you need a Bible, take one. If you think you might need a Bible, take one. We will buy more. We will ask for more. The Gideons will bring us more. Give away the Bibles. You never go wrong with giving someone a Bible. Um, please remember uh, the, the prayer requests and the, the giving box at the back of the church with the tear-off tab. I do have... Um, a brief missions update, and this actually ties into the message. I know I don't usually do that, but we actually have some stuff that ties into the, um, to the message for today. If you haven't seen, Matthias is back in Uganda. He was able to go back, and um, it looked like they actually had a wedding um, this last week. So pretty amazing stuff uh, that's going on there. However, um, in Myanmar and Thailand, it has continued down the same path. I don't know if you saw in the news this last week, but their um, elected leader, uh, they don't call it a prime minister, but it's their prime minister, um, Aung San Suu Kyi. She was arrested this week, and then she was formally charged. She was charged with corruption, causing civil unrest for inciting riots, and then breaking the Official Secrets Act. Each of those uh, is like a 20 years in prison. As a, as a brief history uh, for, for Myanmar, um, so San Suu Kyi, she is a member of, uh, they call it the... Um, the National League for Democracy. That's her party that she is part of. It was formed in about 1988. That was when there was um, some uprising, and the, they, they call their military rule the, the, the junta. And the hunters have, have ruled really since 1988. They've had some elections, 
Um, and in 1988, the Junta Military Party was defeated in those elections, but they refused to hand over power. Um, in 1989, um, uh, Aung San Suu Kyi, um, she was held under house arrest for 15 years, so 15 out of 21 years from really 1989 until 2010. Um, she was held under, under house arrest. In 2010, they held democratic elections, but she refused to run because of, of the corruption and the military retained power. But then in 2012, they, they held elections again, and she did run, and her party won 86% of the seats in their parliament and in their government. Uh, so in 2015 is when she became uh, their, their prime minister. It's, like I say, it's a different name than that, but that's what, if you look on the BBC or you look at the news services, that's what they refer to her as, is their prime minister. So then in 2016 to 2017, we've, we've talked about this before, but um, there's been genocide in, in Myanmar. Um, there, there's a group of Rohingya Muslims that live on the, the west coast uh, in, a, in a province there. Uh, I'll think if I'm, it's called uh, Rakhine is the province. And over 25,000 of those Muslims have been killed uh, that they know of by the, by the military. And over 700,000 of them have, have fled as refugees uh, from the country. And so that's one of the, the major issues that has been against her as, as far as a ruler goes, that the military continues those, those policy. And then, of course, this year, the military has staged a coup and taken over the government, and then now she has been placed under arrest and uh, has, has been charged with, um, like I say, with corruption and causing the civil unrest, that is, the, the protests and breaking the Official Secrets, Secrets Act. The current estimate uh, is that they've killed about 3,000 of the, the protesters, and they have another three to 5,000 that are, have been arrested, have been detained of the protesters there. So we, need to, we just need to pray for them. And like I say, this is really on topic for today. We are going to talk about what happens to a place without Christ, without God, without people that are there proclaiming the gospel in their daily lives. Um, our, our, our title for today, it's a quote from a, from a book that I just recently finished, but it's, it's called Witch Doctors and War. And that's what we see when we see the absence of Christians, when we see the absence of God in an area, that's what is left to people, is witch doctors and war. And that's what these people are experiencing right now. So we need to pray for God to lead people to Christ in that area. And we have Ray and Candace, and we'll, we'll check in with them when we get a chance to uh, to update that. So Rick is our submission for our joke contest for this week. He submitted some jokes that are some of my absolute favorite jokes of all time. My, my apologies to my son. <clears throat> so uh, why do elephants paint their toenails red? So they can hide in cherry trees. Do you know what happens when an elephant sits on your fence? Do you know what that's called? It's called you need a new fence. So how many of you guys have ever seen an elephant in a cherry tree? Anyone? Anyone ever seen an elephant in a cherry tree? It works, doesn't it? <laughs> Love those. Those are... Uh, all right, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We have your, your word open in front of us. Father, we are seeking you. We are earnestly seeking you that we could draw closer to you. Please... Be the voice that we hear. Be the, the light in our lives. Please help us to obey you. Help us to be steadfast and to persevere in you. 
Father, we are just seeking a closer relationship to you, to know you better. You have told us to study your word, and that's exactly what we're doing. We have gathered together in your name. We are lifting up our worship to you, and now we have your word open and are going to, to dive into it. Please, Father, be with us. Amen. So we're continuing on in, in John chapter 4, verses 19 through 42. I think we are working on, what, week three, week four in the same section of John. But we're going to attack this from a different angle, and that is from a missions angle. And this is a message of encouragement for us to persevere, to be steadfast, and to really think about our mission, our life mission, and how we reach people with the gospel, and why it's important to do that. As we just said, I've really spilled the beans for the whole message. When you think about what the world is like without Christians, without the goodness and mercy and love of God being shown in the lives of people every day, that's all people are left with. They are just simply left with superstitions and, and witch doctors and war. That's what their lives are consumed with. So when we read John chapter 4, verses 19 through 42, it says this. It says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called the Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him some food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look in the fields. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and a harvest a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. So when we talk about missions, this is one of those passages, one of those places where you can circle it, you can highlight it, you can underline it. Whenever you need encouragement, where you're going, man, I, am I on the right path for God? Am I on the, the right path? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Come back to this passage, this passage where he's talking about the harvest, where he's saying, man, I need workers out in the field. 
And the results come right back that many people believed. That's what it's like when we go out and we just simply live our lives proclaiming the gospel. Last week, we spent our entire time on talking about the history of Israel. In that striking verse, in, in verses 22 through 24, where Jesus says, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. That part where he says, For salvation is from the Jews. Then that next part, he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. It says that Jews have a special relationship with God. They know God. It says that salvation is from the Jews. That's a striking passage. He didn't discard them. He didn't cast them off. He didn't say, well, you know, all salvation is from me. He said salvation is from the Jews. We, man, that blows my mind. It still blows my mind. And we went to Romans chapter 11, verses 13 through 24, and this has application for today as well. Because it says it, it says this out, it, it teases this idea out. It says, I am talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought rock reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? We want to review that relationship between God and Israel, between the Gentile church, the, the Catholic, the little c Catholic church, and Israel. is to ask ourselves some questions about our morality and our humanity. Because the picture is that Jesus, that God is the root. That the Jews are the true, the natural branches of that olive tree. That we came from wild olive trees, but were grafted into the true olive tree. And God broke off some of those dead, fruitless branches and grafted in some wild but fruitful branches. However, at the right time, the natural branches will be fruitful again. And some of the branches that were broken off will become fruitful and will be grafted back in. But again, the question is, it's a question of community. That's what we're talking about today is community. We're talking about how our individual rights, how our individual freedom, how our religious freedom, and how our right to self-determination build a community and what effect we can have as believers in our community. I don't think there's any one of us that looks around at our country or at the world and goes, ah, it's great. 
It's perfect. Love it just the way that it is. I, you know, tomorrow morning I got no worries whatsoever. Gas prices are great. Housing prices are great. Construction prices are great. I wouldn't change a thing. I love driving. There's no road rage. The highways are empty. The roads are in great shape. Anybody say that? Anyone? Ever? No. Every one of us looks around at the world. We look at the state of our fellow humans, and we're concerned. We're concerned about the, the trajectory of ourselves, of our families, of our communities, of our country. All of us are. We all want to, to change things. We want to, to have goodness and mercy and love. And we're going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit in just a little bit. We want to have those things pouring out in our lives, in our families, and in our community, and in our nation. We want those things. So some of you know, some of you don't know, but I have a Jeep. And I, I put some pictures up here. It's been a long time since it has done anything, and these are really old pictures. But so 20 years ago, Brooke and I moved back from Iowa. And uh, so there it is. There's, there's, there's Gwen. And uh, let's say she's... she's I don't know, what do you call it? Is, it, uh, is, she, is she, you know, resting comfortably at the back of the shop right now? But, oh, there's Mark and the, and the Honda. <laughs> but I have this Jeep. And so when Brooke and I were first married, we went to Iowa while she did her internship, and then we, we moved back. And Gwen was, my, was kind of my hobby. It was a piece of transportation. But I have loved cars for a long time, and I love working on things and building things. And so... You know, there's a lot of work that has been, been done to Gwen, but there was a, a time when uh, there was a, this place in Denver. It was a pick-apart yard, and they had this sale. And you could go and you could get any engine at the yard for 100 bucks. It's a heck of a deal. So there was this hot Saturday morning in the summertime when my buddy Brian and I, we loaded up into, into Gwen, and we went down to, to Denver with a load of tools to go and find an engine because an AMC 360 is perfectly fine, but if you can get a Chevy 350 maybe with some fuel injection, that's a, that's a big upgrade for the old gal. So we loaded up and we went down there, parked and went in, and we, it took a few hours, but we finally found a, a Chevy 350 and we got it wrestled out of a, a van, you know, and, and got it out to the door and, and paid for it. And we get back out to Gwen to, to load it in with a forklift and someone had broken in. They had broken in. They had pried the door open, damaged one of the locks. And they had stolen all my tools. Everything that I didn't take with me into the place was gone. I was working as an electrician at the time and I had loaded up pretty much everything that I thought we might need for doing this. I didn't know what, what all we would need. But there we were on a Saturday afternoon and I had no idea how I was going to go to work on Monday. Because I, I had to be at work at 7 a.m. with my tools on for my job. That was my job, how I provided for my family. How was I going to do that? And the person that, that stole my they never were never caught. I did file a police report, and the police did have cameras, but it turns out they didn't cover that portion of the parking lot. In fact, the, the employee at the time was like, oh, you parked over in Thieves' Corner. <laughs> it's like... Would have been nice to know that before I parked there. That would have been, been great. So what about justice? I, uh, the reason that made me think of this story, I was watching the news, and there was a guy on, on, on the news. He was from the U.K. He was a, a construction guy like me, a, a builder. 
and uh, he was being investigated, interviewed by the police. See, he had taken his, his work van, where he kept all of his tools, and he had wired it up with a, with a 10,000-volt electrical system. <laughs> so, well, the reason was, so his van had been broken into four times over the last year. He had had over $15,000 worth of tools stolen from him. Three times these thieves had broken in, and each time he had added another layer of security to his van, but it hadn't stopped them. So finally, he's like, well, you know, so I've, I've wired up this 10,000-volt system so that if you, anyone grabs certain parts of the van, they're going to they're gonna have a little moment. <laughs> now, the police didn't come out for any of the four times that his van were broken into. But when he wired up that 10,000-volt system, one of his neighbors found out about it and reported him to the police, and the police came out to interview him because they had crafted an illegal weapon, and they were considering charges against him. And that was his, his statement was, this is my livelihood. There's some of those things that I had, custom tools I had made, jigs that I had made. It took me 15 years of my life to come up with those solutions to problems that I had in my job, and they're gone. They're gone completely, and I can never get those things back. So it's a question of justice. Of, so we're going to Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. It says, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you, where will you leave your riches? Nothing will remain but to cringe among the captives or fall among the slain. Think about the coup in, in Myanmar, the, the refugees driven from their homes under both religious and ethnic persecution, the protesters killed in the streets. And ask yourself that question, what effect does a godly person have in a family or in a community? What effect does a godly family or a community have in the world? I said, I just finished that book, Mission to the Headhunters. It's by Frank and, and Marie Drown. And I, I was telling Ken, the last chapter of that book is really amazing. It kind of wraps this 15-year, 16-year journey of, of mission up. But there's a point where one of the wives is talking to the missions, and she's begging them not to, not to go, not to leave. They had to go back to their, their camp from this place. And she's going, no, please do not go. Because her, her husband was one of the, the chiefs there. And she said, you know, when you guys are here, we sing hymns and we work out in the fields and there's peace and there's love and there's, there's forgiveness and there's prosperity. We have good crops and, and our children get to go to school and all these good things happen. But when you leave, all we're left with are the witch doctors and the war. All of those things stop. They go back to, to just hunting in the fields. They go back to revenge. They go back to, to killing each other and hating each other. All the peace leaves when you go. And that's our complaint about the world today, isn't it? The lack of justice, the lack of peace, the lack of truth, the lack of humility and love and grace and, and forgiveness. And imagine we've we heard Ray and Candace testify about entire units of the Myanmar army that, that refused to fight, that were deserting. But that's the power, right, of one soldier. Think about one thief. What if 
one thief had refused to steal and instead had been honest. Because we are all upset and we are all offended and hurt by the path that we see the people around us on. And we are all worried about the fate of the world and the actions of our fellow humans. And today's passage is to encourage you to get out there and to do something about it. Think about the thief on the cross. His encounter with Christ led to his salvation. So we're going to walk through our passage and what we see. And these, I put these in your bulletin, but there are six points that we're going to walk through. Point one, everyone has a sin problem. Everyone does. There's no exception to that rule. If you're drawing breath, you have a sin problem. Number two, regardless of your current position, your sin problem, God has a plan of redemption. Number three, your past sin does not matter. In fact, God will use your past sin to make your mission more effective. Point four, everyone has a mission. Everyone has an opportunity to partner with God in spreading the gospel. Number five, when you step out in faith, God will provide for your mission and will make your mission successful. And then the last one is, you will know your mission is successful when the people you are serving leave you, stop following you, and start following Jesus. So everyone has a sin problem. This is right here in our verse. The Samaritan woman, she's bad at relationships. And we don't know exactly what the deal is. We don't know the details, and quite frankly, we don't need to. We don't know if she kept on choosing the wrong guys, or if she had communication problems, or lust problems, or money problems, or love language problems. The truth is, she had a losing streak with relationships. And the scripture is intentionally vague on this. Because Jesus says to her, he says, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, Jesus is not mean and he is not angry. However, he is light. And the thing about when you turn on the lights is suddenly you can see things, especially things that you didn't really want to see or that you really were kind of trying to hide. The boys are in class, but, you know, you go to do the bedding, you go to wash the sheets and, and, and wash the comforter, and suddenly there's a bunch of candy wrappers that were tucked up against or they're, they're underneath the bed. Nothing quite sets Dad off more than that. So you go and you find these things. We have a little sweet tooth who, uh, who sneaks candy into their room for a little late-night snack. And see, they get upset. My boys, they get upset me when I, when I show them the wrappers, and I explain to them that eating too much candy is bad for them, that it leads to poor health and to rotten teeth. And they get upset when they get on punishment because not only did they do something unhealthy, but they disobeyed me and they lied to me. See, we're pretty good as parents. We understand how sin relates to God, don't we? We have done something that is unhealthy for us, and we have disobeyed God. We have rebelled against God. We cannot take that lightly. My kid lying to me and swiping some candy, that's a, that's a pretty small thing. But disobeying God, rebelling against God, that isn't a small thing. And we have all done it. Go to Romans chapter 3.23 
We're going to read the first part, Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're going to say verse 24 for a minute. But notice that Jesus does not ignore her sin. He doesn't ignore it. He doesn't just walk away from it. He brings it up. He says, hey, you've got a problem. And he does this over and over again. If we go to Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, we're going to see this pattern of how God deals with sin. This is the very first time when Adam and Eve fall. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called on the man and said, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. His nakedness was exposed. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. It's Cain and Abel. It's where God says to him, what have you done? Where is your brother Abel? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Your sin is not hidden. I can see it. Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 29. It's the rich guy, the rich young ruler. It says, sell everything that you have. Sell your possessions and then follow me. It says, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, meets Jesus. And Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, when we encounter Jesus, our sins are laid bare. The light comes on. You can't help but see it. There they are. The crumbs in the cook, you know, from eating cookies in bed. There they are. The wrappers, they're right there. For our Samaritan woman, it's her problem with relationships. For the rich young ruler, it's money. For Zacchaeus, it was money. For Adam and Eve, there was temptation. For Cain, it was, it was jealousy and anger. But there, in front of God, they're laid bare. It's kind of a rough day, isn't it? When you're face-to-face with all of your iniquities, when you're face-to-face with your rebellion against God, it's not a, a comfortable place to be. Their reactions, though, listen to their reactions. Adam and Eve, we hid because of our, our nakedness. Cain, am I my brother's keeper? The rich young ruler, he left sad because he was very wealthy. Now listen to Zacchaeus. He says, here and now I give half my positions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. The Samaritan woman, listen to what she did. He told me everything I ever did. And then she went and proclaimed the gospel. 
See, God has a plan for redemption. If we're here today, if you can hear my voice, if you're drawing breath, redemption is for you. Yes, your sin is laid bare, but you don't stand condemned. Isn't that amazing? That's absolutely incredible that forgiveness is that readily available to all of us. Right here in this exchange, we get to see her plan for redemption. See, if we go back to Romans 3.23, we grab verse 24. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then verse 24, And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Wow. That's amazing. 1 Peter 3.8, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. God isn't out there playing, you know, spiritual whack-a-mole, trying to keep everybody down. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And the good news is, it's not like it's in short supply. It's not like there's a limited number of coupons. I don't know, they, they gave away like the first $2 million prizes for the people that have been vaccinated. There's, what, there's five? This has nothing to do with that. If everyone on earth decided to turn to Christ, they would all be welcome. All seven billion people today could accept Christ Jesus. They'd be welcomed into heaven. That's not a limited number. Everybody can come. There's plenty of room. I was listening to, uh, to uh, Alistair Begg earlier this week, and he was talking about what is Jesus doing now? We don't talk about what Jesus is doing right now a lot. We talk about, you know, the events leading up to the cross. We talk about the cross. We talk about resurrection. And we talk about revelation. We don't talk about the time in between, what Jesus is doing right now. You know what he's doing? Number one, he's, he's governing the universe. It says that he's, he's governing the universe. He's ruling the church. It's his church. He's ruling the church. He's the head of the church right now. You know what he's also doing? He's preparing a place for you in heaven. It says, I go to my Father's house where there are many mansions, and I, I will build a room for you. We talked about, you know, bridegrooms and their, their role of going to their Father's house and building a room on so that when their bride is ready, they would have a, a place to come and live. That's what Jesus is doing right now. He is that groom that is building that room at his Father's house, preparing it so that when his bride, the church, comes to heaven, he has a place for us to live together. Isn't that incredible? that we can be welcomed like that into heaven? I know somebody over here that really likes fishing. I bet he's building a place that has a nice creek that runs past it that's fully stocked. I hope that the Jeeps up there don't break down. <laughs> or if they do, that they're easy to fix. But he leaves the door open for their redemption. Now, there is a day coming when the door will close, when there won't be any more time to turn to Christ. But today is not that day. Today we all have the chance to turn to Christ. Go to Genesis 3.21. That's where God made the, the garments of skin for Adam and, and Eve and clothed them. That's when he set in, in motion his plan for redemption. God covered them, provided for them, and then set into motion the plan for redemption. Genesis 4, 5 through 7. It says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Matthew 19, 21. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Luke 19, 9. Zacchaeus. 
Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man comes to seek and save the lost. Then, John 4.10, where we are today. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty, and I have to keep coming to draw water. There's a plan of redemption for every single one of us. Your past does not make your current mission less effective. It's tempting, right, to think of this woman as a pariah, as, you know, you might want to avoid her or exclude her. It's been in the entertainment news that, uh, that Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez have been, been back together, that they've been, been seen together. All of us, right, we kind of like sigh, roll our eyes, really? We have to go on this roller coaster again. This is in the news. This is newsworthy. This train wreck is, is, is what's on the news. God doesn't think of them that way. He doesn't think of us that way. Regardless of the train wrecks, regardless of all the past mistakes, regardless of all of those things, he says, no. You're my child. I made you. I made you with a purpose and with a plan. It's a lot of our crisis, right, is wondering the very thing. Why am I here? What am I doing? What am I supposed to do? Am I doing the right thing? God answers that. He says, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. You have a plan. You have a purpose. It's right here. I made it for you. You were born at the right time, in the right place, with the right skills. Everything about you is exactly the way that I wanted you to be. And you are perfect for the work that I have cut out for you. It's not going to be what you think. It's going to look different. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have troubles. You're going to have setbacks. But it's going to be great work. And... We get to see God transform lives. We get to see him work in our communities. We get to see goodness and grace and mercy, all of the fruits of the Spirit pour out into lives. What better is there than that? All of the riches, all of the money, all of the things, they all rot and they all pass away. They all go. There's only two eternal things in our lives, God and the spirits of the people around us. That's it. Why not work for the eternal rather than for the temporary? I was reading a, a joke that speaks to this, our, our tendency to, to judge people. It says, Sister Mary Lou, who's better than you, saw Jeff in the hardware store. She lit into him. It was absolutely scandalous how everyone in town saw his pickup truck parked in front of the local bars and strip clubs all the time. When was he going to Get right. Stop doing all this. So in response, Jeff just went ahead and parked his truck in front of Mary Lou's house. <laughs> I know. But we can imagine the public opinion about this Samaritan woman. She is drawing water in the middle of the day, not early in the morning with the rest of the women. And normally, that well would have been a place of meeting, of, of catching up, of, of fellowship and camaraderie and friendship when they could catch up on the news. 
Now, whether she excluded herself or maybe she was excluded by the others, she was by herself. She had every reason, every reason to go home and to not say a word to anyone about Jesus. She chose to go back to those people, whether they rejected her or she rejected them or maybe both. She chose to be on mission, to obey, to go and proclaim the gospel. That couldn't have been easy. Her bravery is amazing. In spite of everything, in spite of all of her past failures, in spite of everything that she carried with her, she cast all of that on Christ and went and proclaimed the gospel. If there's a remarkable thing in this passage, it is that. That is our encouragement to be like her, regardless of our past mistakes, regardless of where we stand. And our world is great, right, with Google. Now, now you go to apply for a job, and the first thing they do is Google you, right? They want to see all of your, your past employment history. They want to see every single one of your failures. They want to look at your, your high school social media history. And if there's something, even if they accept you now, a few years from now, they might not accept you. It might be a Halloween costume. It might be a, there was a, a, an actress that got fired because she attended a party when she was 17 years old. And she didn't know that the foundation that put on this party happened to have ties to some organization that's no longer popular. She lost her job. Do you understand the difference, though, between that and what Christianity says? You see how we can make a difference? where instead of condemning and rejecting, we can accept and forgive? How we can say, yeah, I've, I've made mistakes too. Yeah, I, I come from a horrible place. Let me tell you about the guy who knew everything that I ever did and loved me anyways. He knows everything. He knows everything about me. He knows my thoughts. He knows all the bad thoughts that are in my head all the time. And he loves me anyway. When I can't look at myself in the mirror, he still calls me by my name and still says, I have a plan for you. And he has the same thing for all of you too. Let me tell you about it. That's what she does. She goes back to the town, back to her own town, back to the people that know her, that know her past, that know her sin, and she proclaims the gospel. She chooses forgiveness and repentance and grace. She received forgiveness and grace from Jesus, and then she went and she proclaimed the gospel. She forgave herself. That's one of the hardest things we can do, isn't it? Is to forgive ourselves. And then she bravely re-entered society. That's one of the hardest things we can do. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17 says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? After all, what is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned each his task, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. 
But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 6 through 10. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think of me more than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In our place where all of our weakness is laid bare, in that place where all of our sin is laid bare, that's where Christ is strongest. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 says, This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But to let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Everyone has a mission. Everyone has an opportunity to partner with God in spreading the gospel. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, it says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. They then can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Psalm chapter 34 says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. For the Lord, you, his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. 
The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. It says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once in darkness, but now are light of the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. See, the examples of obedience in Scripture are, are numerous. But we're focusing on the Samaritan woman. Samaria, at this time, it's a, it's a half-breed area. It's Jews mixed with Gentiles. They're hated by both. They're not Roman citizens. They can't be Roman citizens. And they're not Jews either. So they can't go to temple. They can't offer sacrifice. And they are, can't go to Rome for justice either. Any of you guys think of them that way? Most everyone, when you hear that word Samaritan, what do we think of? We think of the story of the good Samaritan, right? <laughs> Isn't that amazing how God works? This place that was once spit on, that was once trod on, that when people walked through there, if you were a Jew, you walked through Samaria, they were like, really? Did you wash? Did you cleanse yourself at the temple afterwards? Why did you go that way? You could have gone around. But most of us, when we hear that name Samaritan, we think of the good Samaritan, the person that Jesus used as an example of goodness and kindness and mercy and love. That's what God can do in a life. But this woman, she's amazing because here she is, powerless and voiceless. She's lived a life of broken relationships. She's isolated from her neighbors. She lives in this world of witchcraft and war. That's where she lives, of pagan idolatry. She has pagan idol idols. She's rejected from society. But suddenly, she is the voice. She is the one who is bringing the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control what she brings to her, her community. And isn't that our complaint about America? That it is full of witchcraft and war? That idolatry and lies and conflict consume our brothers and sisters? That our, our leaders and courts promote injustice? We read Isaiah 10, 1 through 4. 
Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive those of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. We all want change. We all want things to get better. We all want these fruits of the Spirit to pour out. Even think about material poverty. Rick and I were, were talking about this yesterday, and it's, it's amazingly true how quickly God gives us abundance, how quickly He gives us provision. We give Him a little bit, we put a little bit in, and suddenly we're overwhelmed. Remember that the early days of the food bank, we were talking about this yesterday when we were, you know, one box, five boxes, do we have enough to cover it? Ten boxes, twenty boxes. Well, let's put a little something extra in the plate, please. We're going to try and do food bank this month. Can you give a little bit extra? We stuck with it, and now suddenly we have a grant. We've got to spend by the end of the month. We have no idea where we're going to put it. I think we're going to have to have the kids have Sunday school on the roof. The fellowship room is just going to be full, overflowing with food because of God's grace and provision. Anybody have plant a garden? We have, I can't grow anything, but we have these neighbors that plant gardens, and they're amazing. But like, in a few weeks, they're going to be coming by like weekly going, hey, squash, tomatoes, what can you take? Celery, lettuce. When you plant something and God blesses it, it just explodes in provision. Because here's the thing is that we can't outgive God. We can't plant something in His name, ask for His blessing, and be obedient, then He doesn't bless it with abundance. Now, don't get me wrong. We can get on the, right tra- on the wrong track. We can do that. And he closes doors. He says, uh, nope, not that way. You've got to go back the other way. Right? Whenever we pray, we've, we've had a lot of times, right, where God says, no, that wasn't, nope, not going to do that. Or he says, wait. Those are t- tough ones, right? When he doesn't say no, he says, eh, not now. That's really rough to wait on God sometimes. But that's how he answers our prayers, right, is yes, no, or wait. It doesn't mean that it won't be hard being on mission for God or being, being obedient to God. It will be hard. He does never promise us an easy time. It doesn't mean the devil won't attack. We've been trying to step out in faith on, on these missions. We've been building up to this. John's here today. He said, John volunteered to be our, our missions coordinator. We'd gotten everything together. We're trying to get our finances together. And what happens? A tree falls on his house. Right? Suddenly, his kids don't have a bedroom. They're living in an RV. You think that's coincidence? I don't think that's coincidence. Nathan and I both got sick. There's a difference, though, between an attack and God not providing, God closing a door. See, our resources haven't changed. The mission field hasn't changed. We got attacked. But we aren't stopping. God is going to have to close the door for us to stop. This is our conclusion, is that we will know that our mission is successful when the people that we are serving leave us for Jesus. Verse 39 says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Don't follow me. Don't believe in me. Don't believe a single thing I say, quite frankly. I am nothing. 
follow Jesus. I'm just doing my best here to run my race, to obey Christ. That's what I'm doing. You run your race. See, this Samaritan woman not only led her village to Christ, she is still leading people to Christ. Isn't that incredible? Our model of worship, our model of the church, is based on this special revelation that she received. Why do we focus so much on worshiping in spirit and in truth? Why do we focus so much on that? Because that's what Jesus says to her. She receives this special revelation, this special model. So I can and I do pray for each and every one of you, but run past me, claw, scratch, climb, run, walk, hike, do whatever it takes. Get to Christ. Follow Jesus. You go run your race. See, without you, the world is left. It's left to witchcraft and to war, to witch doctors and war. And people are yearning for the fruits of the Spirit. They're yearning for justice. They're yearning for peace. They're yearning for goodness and mercy and love and forgiveness. So be encouraged because when you live out your faith, when you build your relationship with Christ, amazing things happen. God sees your sin. It's naked in the light, but he has not condemned you. And your past sin does not matter. And in fact, in your weakness, God is strongest. And he has a mission. He has a purpose. He has a plan for each and every one of us. And when we step out in faith, God will provide for our missions and will make our mission successful. And we will know our mission is successful when people leave us and start following Jesus, when they're studying the word on their own, when they're attending church on their own, when they're seeking Christ on their own. That's when, what do we do? We inbound the ball and we do it again. That's what we do until he calls us home. So let's get to the harvest, shall we? Father God, we are so thankful. We live in this wonderful place. You have put us here. You have, you have blessed each and every one of us. Father, we are seeking to be obedient. We are seeking your spirit to fill us, to come and lead us, to guide us, to be with us. Because we know that without you, we're just flailing. We can't move without your provision, without your grace, without your spirit. So we're seeking that, Father. Please come fill each and every one of us. Father, give us a, a passion, a desire to follow you, to reach the lost. Let us not have rest, Father, until every soul that we can find at least knows you. Please. Please, Father, we are seeking your provision. We are seeking your correction. We are seeking your discipline that when you look down from your throne, this place would be a place that is pleasing to you. And Father, if there's anything that is not pleasing to you, please show it to us that we could get rid of it. Father, please help us this week. We think about our, our kids in summertime and all the influences that they have. And Father, we still want them to have good friends and to build good relationships and to enjoy themselves before they have to have the worries and the burdens of, of adulthood. But we also want to keep them safe. We want them to know you. We want them to hear you. So, Father, please be with them. Please help us as, as parents and grandparents to love on them the way that you would love on them. 
Father, please keep everyone safe as we have this record heat this next week. I know there's going to be a lot of people that are suffering. Please help us to see their suffering and to help where we can. We ask all of that in the loving name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.